What are bacteriophages? How important are these viruses for the world's ecology and our health? And why are they studied at all? This and much more in this episode of The Viral Talk. Before we get going, I would kindly ask you to subscribe to The Viral Talk on Spotify or any other podcasting app you are listening to this from, to follow The Viral Talk on Twitter and Instagram, for which the links to the profiles are provided in the show notes down below, and to leave a review on the episode on podchaser.com. This would massively help the podcast grow and I would truly, truly appreciate it as it makes the podcast stand out and reach new people. But now, without further ado, let's go viral. Hello and welcome to The Viral Talk, the podcast that makes virology easy. I'm your host, Federico De Angelis, and I will do my best to explain in simple and straightforward terms all the different aspects of virology. In this episode, I'm going to talk about a topic which might be obscure to the majority of non-experts, or simply to people that do not have a background in biology, which is bacterial viruses, or bacteriophages. Before telling you all the juicy details about these infectious agents, however, I wanted to emphasize how the topic of this episode was actually chosen by you, the listeners, through a series of polls that I put out both on the Viral Talk Instagram page and on Spotify. This is to say that your opinion matters and that you do have a say on the topics that I'm going to cover in the following episodes. So please, if you have a particular interest or something that you really want to know about, engage with the polls or let me know in other ways. You can contact me on the podcast email, which is provided in the show notes down below, on Instagram or Twitter. What other things you would like to listen about? But now, <laughs> let's get to the sauce. So, in nature, no organism exists that does not get infected by viruses. Bacteria are no exception. The viruses that infect bacteria, as I said before, and as I've also talked about briefly in a reel on Instagram, are called bacteriophages. The term bacteriophage comes from a mix of the word bacterium and the Greek word phagein, which means to eat. These viruses were discovered in two separate occasions in 1915 and in 1917 by two fellas called William Twarf and Felix Terrell. Both of these gentlemen noticed, noticed that there were invisible agents with the property to kill bacteria. Bear in mind, this was during the pre-antibiotic era. Antibiotics were, had not been discovered yet. So, in a period in which even a mild chest infection, even a staphylococcus infection, could actually kill, would be a serious threat. So, the discovery of something that could specifically target infectious bacteria and leave us intact was actually a pretty big deal. In Eastern countries, in fact, these phages, bacteriophages, were used for a bit in the early 20th century as treatment for all kinds of infection. However, the advent of antibiotics actually pushed phages research and phage treatment to the side for several reasons. First of all, bacteriophages were very specific, so it has been found, actually, that 
a species of bacteriophages can only infect as one single species of bacteria, while antibiotics can work against multiple targets, multiple bacterial species. And second of all, because antibiotics were actually much, much easier to produce, to mass produce, because they come from fungi and fungi can be grown. On the other hand, bacteriophages rely on bacteria to be grown and they're not very easy to extract and to purify. That's why with the advent of antibiotics, we actually saw the use of phages to be pushed onto the side. However, work on phages still led to major scientific advancements after that. In fact, during the 1950s, for example, two people, Hershey and Chase, made an import important discoveries on the replication of DNA and how replication of DNA actually worked during their studies on a bacteriophage called phage T2. So this is to say that even though they were mostly used for other type of lab research, they still contributed quite a bit to the advancement of our knowledge. Now, bacteriophages are not only important for this, but they're also particular in and of themselves. They're particular for the structure. Differently to the majority of viruses that infect animals and humans, phages have almost an insect-like structure. I don't know if you have studied them in high school, but from what I remember from textbooks on the second and third year of high school, these viruses actually had an almost spidery look to them. They're formed from a head at the top that contains the genomic material, like DNA or RNA, and that can possibly loosely be associated with the abdomen of a spider, you know, the bulgy bit. And then they have a tail, which is simply a straight, hollow protein complex that ends up with leg-like fibers that attach themselves to the bacteria. Just to make it clear, these fibers at the end of the tail are to phages like what spike is for SARS-CoV-2. So is the, these are the receptor binding proteins or the receptor binding bits of the viruses that allow them to attach to their host, to their favorite host. Once these viruses attach to the unlucky bacteria, their structure changes, and their tail, this hollow body I've just described, turns into a sort of syringe that injects the viral genome inside the bacterium. And once the genome is inside the bacterium, just like with every other virus that we've encountered before in other episodes of the viral talk, the bacteria then take the genome and start producing proteins in order to make more virus. But what's cool about phages in this sense is that they can have two different reproduction cycles, two different multiplication cycles, called the lytic or virulent cycle and the lysogenic or temperate cycle. The lytic cycle is what we all imagine a virus does when it infects the cells, start replicating until it becomes so many that it bursts out of the cell, killing its host. The lysogenic cycle, on the other hand, is a bit different. In this case, after the genomic content of the virus has been injected into the bacterium, it sorts of the genome itself of the virus sorts of slides into the genome of the host. The correct term for this process is called integration, and it is a relatively complicated process that I'm not going to talk about in here. But what effectively happens is that the whole viral genome becomes part 
of the bacterial genome. There's also another way that the viral genome can take, another alley, which is that rather than becoming an integral part of the bacterial genome, the viral genetic material actually circularizes and stays within the bacterium as such, as a DNA circle, basically. If this happens, phages then take the name of prophages. The lysogenic replication cycle in particular is very cool, because it has implications also for us. Oftentimes, this type of replication cycle, in fact, can last for generations. So, the bacteria that have integrated the virus not only copy their genome when they split, like in the binary fission that we're used to think bacteria replicate with, but they also copy the viral genome within them, carrying it down further for generations down the path of evolution. And sometimes, the genes that are encoded by the virus can also be expressed, aka being turned into proteins, without the whole virus starting replicating again. And it might so happen that some of these viral proteins that get expressed give an advantage to the bacteria that contains them, that expresses them, actually. And you may ask, hold on, but is this hypothetical? Does this actually exist? Well, the answer is no, it's not hypothetical, and yes, it does exist. There are lots of documented cases of this phenomenon. And perhaps something that might ring a bell to all of you is cholera. Yes, you heard that right. The disease cholera, which has its uh, most prominent symptom in watery diarrhea, is caused by a bacterium, not a virus, called Vibrio cholera. But studies on the bacterium actually showed that the toxin that Vibrio cholera produces, which is the toxin responsible for the symptoms, for this typical liquid loss, is not part of the main genome of the bacterium, but it's actually part of a temperate prophage, meaning a lysogenic virus, called CTXFI, that has inserted itself into the bacterial genome a long time ago. And this is only the most famous case, but there are other cases in, for example, in Streptococcus, in other type of gram-negative bacteria that I'm not going to talk about because they're very specific and I'm not a bacteriologist myself, although I have a degree in microbiology. But another very cool thing that I can tell you about bacteriophages is their spread, their breath. So, in relatively recent times, we actually, as a species, we humans, have managed to understand the scale of bacteriophages abundance in the world. Studies that were done in the late 90s and early 2000s that tried actually to quantify viruses in the sea have shown that there are at least 10 viruses for each bacterial cell. Not only that, through magic math that scientists way better than me know, we actually have managed to calculate that there are something like 10 to the 31 power viruses in the whole biosphere, meaning in both on both land and in the sea. 
Now, 10 to the 31 is an astronomical number. It's actually more than the number of humans, of animals and bacteria on planet Earth taken together. So, being this abundant, of course, scientists asked the question, do these viruses play an ecological role in the environment? And what's very fascinating is it turns out that they actually do. As they infect bacteria, they can act as a sort of check for populations of bacteria and other microorganisms that start taking over within a certain environment. Basically, what bacteriophages do is that they keep different bacterial populations in check, at bay. They avoid their uncontrolled spread by killing whichever start to become too successful, meaning too numerous in a certain environment. And by do so, they also have another very important role, which is nutrient recycling. In fact, when they kill bacteria and make them burst, I know this is very graphic, they release all their cellular content in the environment, which looks very much delicious to other microorganisms that feed on bacteria, or even other bacteria themselves, because they also need the nutrients to grow and spread and multiply. Last but not least, one of the very, very, very cool things that now researchers all over the world are trying to do with phages is to potentially use them as biomedical tools. Like most non-bacterial viruses, bacteriophages are actually extremely specific to the type of host they infect. These viruses are extremely diverse and extremely numerous. And studies have actually shown that oftentimes one type or one species of bacteriophages can only infect one bacterial species, or even certain subsets of the same bacterial species, called strains. Due to this specificity, we could actually harness their potential as treatment for antibiotic-resistant infection or other invasive infections. As I said before, this is not an extremely modern approach. However, the fact that we know more about their biology and more about the bacterial biology as well makes these phages or bacteriophages a perfect tool that can be tailored to attack whichever bacteria we want. As antibiotic resistance is actually slowly increasing across the globe and we are struggling to, to develop many new antibiotics, this idea has actually undergone a sort of revival. And there are actually many, many examples of trials using phages to treat infections in animals, but also in humans. Most of these trials do not take as an approach the only use of bacteriophages, but rather the use of bacteriophages in conjunction together with antibiotics. For example, a phage called PF1 has been used to clear Pseudomonas aeruginosa infections in animals. And again, a cocktail of phages was used to treat E. coli infections in chickens. Lastly, 
very recently actually, a cocktail of phages together with antibiotics was even used to clear an orthopedic infections in humans. So all these trials make us very optimistic and hopeful about the future, as we might actually have an additional weapon to fight bacterial infections. Now, having said so, I regret to inform you that we have reached the end of this episode for the viral talk. And because of this, I would actually like to thank you very much for listening. It has been a pleasure for me to talk about this topic. And uh, before saying goodbye, I actually wanted to reiterate that the topics that you are listening to on this podcast are actually chosen by you, the listeners, through the polls that I've talked about at the beginning of this episode and that are published here in Spotify, but also on Instagram through the Viral Talk Instagram page. So if you would like to know something more, something specific about viruses, please engage with the polls and do not hesitate to contact me on Instagram and Twitter or even via email. I'm always more than happy to chat about virology and would very much like the feedback that you might have for me and the requests that you might have for me. Lastly, I would very much like to ask you to leave a review on the episode on podchaser.com. It really, really does make a difference as it allows the podcast to establish itself in the podcasting community and also attract more listeners. Once again, thank you very much for listening. See you next time. And don't forget to go viral.